Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, and thanks for all those bird songs. We, uh, <laughs> you know, we need those bird songs on uh, cool days. Although I, uh, I heard a chickadee doing that that whistle when I was outside earlier this morning, and uh, boy, you're thinking, what in the world is it singing springs here for? But it's. <laughs> I look through uh, my notes from the past, and it seems I hear them in uh, January. There was even some instances where I heard them in the end of December. And it's just, uh, you know, the, we get a little more light, and that seems to be all it takes to get them going. So I'm, I'm so happy to hear it. And again, with chickadees, when they do that, that is their song, and when they do chickadee dee dee dee, that is their call. Ah. So it, se- it seems like it should be the other way around. Cause so what's the difference? Had- is one like singing a song like "No Cares in the World," the others "I'm Worried About Something," or what's the? Is there anything behind it? Yeah, the chickadee dee dees. Those are when they're kind of contact calls that saying, "I'm here, Marvin. I'm right over <laughs> here. If you turn around and look, I'm right here." And it's also a warning to other birds. So if there's a cat out there, I've noticed in my yard, the little guys will just go chickadee dee 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 dee. So they're warning other chickadees, while at the same time they're warning other birds because other birds are attuned to what the chickadees are up to. They follow them around to find food, and they also listen to those warnings. So when the little guy goes chickadee dee 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 dee, sometimes a little downy woodpecker flatten right against a feeder. This is more likely to happen when there's an aerial predator there, but uh, I guess they're not always sure what the chickadee maybe is warning them about, or they just they just want to be uh, extra cautious. So it's uh, it's neat to hear these sounds, you know. Otherwise, this morning I was out uh, looking through the tracks because uh, there's so many tracks out there, and it's it's fun to see everything that goes on in the night. It's like a uh, I don't know if Arthur Murray still has dance schools, but it'd be like those those uh, illustrated or printed dance steps that they gave the students. So you know you got to go home and practice this, so you can come back and be a whiz on the dance floor. And that looks like what was going on during the night. There was all kinds of dancing out there, and of course they weren't dancing; they were looking for something to eat. But uh, it's it's really cool to see. I I watched mallards the other day float on, oh gosh, just that frigid water, and my mind took me to Mallard, Iowa. (laughs) And I know a lot of people, Mallard, Iowa. Well, it's south of Curlew and north of Plover, uh, Scouts Honor. And the town has 265 residents, and it used to have a high school. And it had a memorable school cheer. It went black and gold, golden black, mellard ducks go quack, quack, quack. <laughs> uh, does it get any better than that as far as a high school cheer? I think not. In, and the other thing I thought about when I saw these ducks, because once you go to mallard, your mind wanders. So I think it, you just can't help it. There, I grew up playing duck, duck, gray duck. And I imagine most everybody listening we played duck, duck, gray duck. That's what we do. Yes, and I'm but, from Wisconsin, and we did that in Wisconsin, too. So I, I get it. But 
all my cousins there in Iowa, what they play, duck, duck, goose. Uh-oh. Uh, of course, no, no, no. They're wrong, and they know <laughs> it, but they just, they will not admit it, you know. I, I just, yeah. I tried to tell them when I was a kid, but it just didn't <laughs> do any good. And I wondered if they played duck, duck, bear in Alaska, oh. but they, they probably didn't. I'm going to say I bet they didn't. You know, this country adopted the bison as a national mammal in 2016. The oak is a national tree, and the national flower is a rose. And the bald eagle is our national symbol and our unofficial national bird, because I don't believe it was ever officially designated as our national bird. And I hope the bald eagle runs for that office. I'm affiliated with the American Bald Eagle Foundation, and we're looking into this and hoping to get it you know, it doesn't take much, and uh, it should be our national bird, too, I think. And if you go online, folks, you will get uh, several million things that will pop up and tell you that it is our national bird, but oh. I don't know where it was ever designated. So I, maybe it's become a national bird just by uh, the assumption that that's mm-hmm. a position it's held for all these years. Who knows? I assume that it was, too. And how do birds get named or things get named to the national or state something or other you know we've got the state muffin that's a blueberry and we've got the yep. you know the loon and i mean is it because there's a lot of them or because we just think they're cool or i'm just wondering if you have any idea why that sure how that happens somebody somebody will take it to their local legislature and say you know <laughs> i think it's a crying shame we do not have a state muffin and the legislators say you know i got stuff to do <laughs> well, we need a state muffin, and then you get a petition maybe going. You get people sign it. You take it in there and say, "Well, it's good." And a lot of it, I think, is you know, you get publicity. I remember when we got the state muffin. There, there was a lot of publicity about it. And if you're a, a legislator, you know, it's pretty cool. You say, "Here's Biff Barnes, who just uh, introduced a bill that would name the." Blueberry is the state muffin. Yay, Biff. And we all like him all of a sudden. A day before, we might have thought, what a, what a moron that guy is. Now, all of a sudden, we like him, the state muffin. I know there's some that saying, well, they got important stuff to do that they shouldn't be doing this. But I don't think it eats up much of the time and probably gives a little break from some of the other things that's going on. And on the national level, it's pretty much the same thing. And again, this organization uh, and a couple of the affiliates have talked to to people in Congress about this. So uh, again, you know, it's one of the minor things in life, but it, I think it'd be just cool. The bald eagles, uh, you know, the bald eagle has had this job forever, but he's uh, maybe I was going to say he hasn't got the recognition, but he has, but maybe improperly. <laughs> I. I found something in my notes here, and I believe it's a, I believe it's from the Rochester paper, and it, they were talking about Brown Christmas in this, and they had a listing, and it was from the, uh, guessing the weather service over in Rochester, and about Brown Christmases, and in this case, it said a Brown Christmas is a day with less than an inch of snow on the ground. So that would mean if you have less than the inch, you're going to have a lot of brown ground. They said we had a brown Christmas. Again, this is in Rochester in 
58, 65, 66, 67, 79, 80, 82, 86. It goes on, 88, 97, and then in the 2000s, it was 2002, 6, 11, 14, 15, 18, and 21. So why do we think then in our minds that we've, this is like the only one in forever? You know, that's kind of how I feel like we, uh, it comes across in in my, my mind. Yeah, and then I could add 2023, that list that wasn't in there. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know why. I I don't remember brown Christmases very well, but then we get talking about things, and somebody will bring up this happened, you know, in 1982 or something, and then all of a sudden you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) I don't know why. We, uh, We remember the Halloween storm, and we remember some just terrible events. We remember tornadoes. Of course, we don't get, well, boy, we get a lot of tornadoes. But we remember tornadoes and things like that, but we don't remember brown Christmases. I guess uh, looking at these numbers, maybe it's because we we have them fairly regularly and we just don't notice it much anymore. But we've had a lot of them. Uh, Brad Baldwin. Brad's a good guy that does a Fairmont Christmas bird count. He did it on December 18th. He sent me a tentative list containing 49 species and he has some that are under review but they have snow geese, cackling geese, trumpeter swans, gadwall, green-winged teal, common goldeneye, ruddy duck, sharpshin hawk, cooper's hawk, barred owl, northern flicker, brown creeper. I did not see a brown creeper. Boy, I sure to look for them. Uh, Golden crown kinglet, swamp sparrow, fox sparrow, and white-throated sparrow. So a lot of good birds. They had all that open water in the city of lakes. Uh, Roger Davidson sent me an, oh, shoot, I don't have where where this was from. But it was about Ferrisburg. And uh, Ferrisburg is the name of an American kestrel. So the name is bigger than the bird. And they, uh, Ferrisburg had an injured wing, but now he's headlining art classes in Vermont. And he's drawing crowds with his talented talons. Hmm. Uh, about four years ago, he was uh, a young male. He was brought to the bird rescue at the Vermont Institute of Natural Science after he was discovered in the nearby town of Ferrisburg. So that's how he got his name. And Ferrisburg is a place known for early art colonies. And in the wild, 80% of Ferrisburg's diet would have been insects. But here they're feeding him mealworms. That's what he loves, is mealworms, the kind that we can get at a pet store. And one of the the environmental educator at the Institute had seen a crow named Tuck in Tennessee, and the crow painted with its beak. It used a small sponge that it dipped in paint and then painted. So she found this airy space in the building. She put down newspaper sheets of white paper dabbed with non-toxic blue teal and pink paint, and she brought Ferrisburg out of his enclosure. And they used hand signals that he recognized, two fingers tapping on a spot to get him to run through the paint in exchange for that favorite snack of mealworms. And soon the bird was running back and forth across the paper, leaving colorful tracks in exchange for treats. So they saw 
that Ferrisburg seemed to enjoy running across the paper. I bet he enjoyed eating those mealworms. <laughs> but so they came up with the idea of having him lead a coloring with Castro's class, and more than a dozen people paid ten bucks and showed up for the first class spending an evening coloring pictures with crayons or doing freeform paintings of Ferrisburg as a raptor created his own artwork at the front of the class. So the one thing they said, if you ever find a baby bird outside and you think it needs help, call a wildlife rehabilitator. Don't ever try to raise these birds alone or they'll end up like Ferrisburg. He's a little bird who thinks he's a human. Uh, instructors had previously tried creating art with one of their Harris's hawks, but it didn't work out. It was a failure. The hawk <laughs> loved shredding paper. So this little bird's having an art show, Ferrisburg. Um, Clarence Ormsby. Clarence, I've uh, known Clarence for a long time. He got one of these uh, bird feeder cameras, so mm-hmm. he's out there taking um, video of birds coming in there. And he showed me a close-up of a starling that had a yellow bill. Now, the day I got this from Clarence, I looked at all the starlings in my yard, and they seemed to all have black bills. But now this morning, when I was filling the feeders, there was one that had started showing yellow in their bills. And this typically, again, happens in January when their starling bill changes from black to yellow as the breeding season gets closer. So uh, times they are changing. Uh, Brian Smith saw a northern harrier in Nicollet County, and these were called marsh hawks when I was a youngin'. And John Tomford saw a sharp-shinned hawk in Nicollet County. Uh, Chad Hines saw a cooper's hawk in Bluerth County. And I, you might have covered this, Karen, but I'm going to mention it anyway. It, I, I get several notes. It says, we at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are seeking your help in solving the killing of more than a dozen swans in Stevens County, Minnesota, that occurred between December 16th and 17th of last year. So that's a sad bit. The fall 2023 migration count at Hawk Ridge, uh, it ran through November. They had uh, over 30 consecutive days by the end of the month and a total of 2,410 raptors across 12 different species were documented. The most abundant raptor species counted at that time of year in November, the bald eagle by quite a margin, red-tailed hawk second, then golden eagle uh, trailing by quite a lot from the first two, then a rough-legged hawk and sharp shin hawk. Of those top five November species, the bald eagle, golden eagle, and sharp shin had higher than average. A nice listener said, uh, this summer I saw a blue jay investigating a mud wasp nest. What was it looking for? Well, I'm going to say probably not as car keys. That'd be, I'd be, no, they eat oh, beetles, grasshoppers, caterpillars, and sometimes wasps. And it's likely, it was likely decimating a wasp nest to eat the larvae inside. Do they so get stung? Probably, Are they worried about that, or doesn't it bother them? I'm sure it would bother them great. So they uh, they have to be real careful. And a lot of the birds, summer tanagers and some of those uh, 
that are really noted for eating bees and wasps, they will catch one and then fly up to a branch, and they'll wrap it on the branch for a while to disable <laughs> the stinger and then swallow it. So it's, it's, uh, some of the birds will even take wings off insects when they, they catch them. I suppose there's not a whole lot of good eating on a wing. <laughs> so they chop that off and then swallow it. And it probably, you know, I don't know how well a wing would go down. They probably it would catch in your throat and then you'd be hacking for a while. So yeah. And the same listener said, how can one, she said, I cannot, but how can one blue jay tell if another is a male or a female? Yeah, you look at them and you say, boy, they just—they all look just alike. They're like penguins out there. They're all the same. They, they, it's in ways that we have no clue, probably, but they likely see differences in each other's feathers in the ultraviolet spectrum. So this ultraviolet spectrum is, we can't see there unless... Unless you're some sort of superhero with superpowers, you're not going to be able to do that. But they can, and I guess, you know, that's all that matters. I'd like to know if that's a male or a female, but, you know, sometimes their behavior you can tell, but otherwise you can't. Uh, listener said, when did, there's a possum in my yard, and it's it's got a pink tail and pink ears and when did possums show up in Minnesota? Yeah, I've been, I got a little possum here that comes around. He was, you know, he's, I don't know if it's the same one, but now I can tell because he's got a bent tail and it's blackening, so he's going to lose some of it. Who knows what happened there? But I like him. I think he's cute. So I put a little stub ear of corn out there, and he comes running and grabs the, stub beer corn and away he goes just seems so happy to have it so i feel like i'm um, you know doing something halfway decent but when did they come here in minnesota uh, and why would be my big question why if you're a warm weather animal mammal why would you walk to minnesota you got to figure it was a young male, probably just taken off trying to find his place in life. And somehow along the way, he talked a female into coming up here. And I, you know, they arrived in the southeastern part of the state around 1900. That's when the first records of a possum here are. So they've been here a while. Are they doing well? Oh, boy. You know, they aren't well equipped to survive cold winters. Yep. We see them. A good share of the ones we see are dead on a, a road, but we see them. So I guess depending on your definition of well, they're uh, they're doing well because their numbers are here. But, boy, they, winter is so hard on them. It's just it's brutal. They aren't meant. To, they freeze, and it, it's sad. Speaking of, oh, of wintertime, sure. I've got a note from Jennifer and Lily about winter creatures. So mm-hmm. uh, she says, hello, ma'am, please ask the bird guy about wintertime creatures like ants. I assume that they go underground for the winter, but how do they breathe and, and drink down there when everything is frozen and covered with snow? I guess I don't know how they breathe normally now that I'm thinking about it. Ha ha. <laughs> and if animals can't find water in the winter, do they just eat snow? Thank you, Jennifer and Lily. 
The last one first, yeah, the, I was watching a jungle. Now, I put out water, but the jungle was eating snow. It was perched in a little tree here, and it, it boom, take a mouthful, a beak full of snow and swallow it and then take another one. The problem with that is snow is so cold that when you get it into your body, you have to burn up a lot of energy because it's so cold. So water would be better, but, yeah, they sure do eat snow. And just as I did when I was a kid, we'd eat snow, and uh, sometimes we'd even put a little, like, Cairo syrup or something on it and <laughs> pretend it was an ice cream snow cone, cone. <laughs> of some kind. Yeah. Uh, ants, they are oh, experts at overwintering. So when winter finally, when they always say, oh, I always say, when winter finally arrives, like it's we're just waiting anxiously for it to come, and I know some people are, but when winter arrives in ants' body temperature, like everything that seems to grow underground, it drops drastically, their movements become sluggish, and they seal up their underground colonies, and they remain fairly inactive down in the soil underneath rocks beneath logs or mulch and then once temperatures warm up in the springtime they're ready to come marching back up and uh, we start seeing them all the time they are so they enter a dormancy period a lot of times with insects is called diapause but as far as getting oxygen down in there, there are, you know, there's always cracks. It's not enough for humans, but for something like that that's in a, a state that they are in, they they do well. Uh, they uh, Sometimes they find their way indoors before or after this dormancy where they can seek shelter where we are. It They do. They're, they're still colonizing, I guess, without our knowledge. And so only a small percentage of the ants are foragers that explore in plain sight. So it's likely their presence sometimes eludes us. But they're down in there in the warm months. You know, they consume their nutrients from nectar seeds, plants. But in the dormancy period and the onset of winter, they adapt again to this slower metabolic state. And as temperatures plummet, they just slow down right with it, and it'll make them appear sluggish. But it allows them to utilize their what that very little stored energy they have. So they don't uh, really eat, drink, or lay eggs during this period. Uh, they don't fall into a deep slumber, really. Rather, they find their way inside or rest deep in the soil. So they just they take it easy. It's like uh, they're on a vacation. So it's like a lot of people do in Florida. They just kind of go down and sort of rest. So that's what ants are doing. And and I like them too. Okay, here's uh, another one. This is from our friend John in New Ulm. It's, he, he wrote, Almost Comedy by John. I get Christmas cards in the mail. Wish they had warnings on the envelope. Glitter card enclosed. Or I spent an hour cutting shiny paper into tiny pieces to make cards more fun. Vacuum cleaner had the most fun. <laughs> oh, John. <laughs> I, I got a card once from a friend, and I opened it up and <laughs> uh, tipped it over, and it fell out into like a hundred pieces. Uh-oh. So it was a uh, it was a jigsaw puzzle card 
So you had to put it together, the card. Uh, I don't know if I'd recommend that. You know, I one year I sent all my <laughs> Christmas cards out the day after the Fourth of July, and uh, an aunt, my wife's aunt, called me and said, "Alan, was that for last Christmas or the coming Christmas?" So she didn't think it was a a bright idea on my part to be sending out Christmas cards in July, and it was kind of the same deal with the jigsaw puzzle. I I don't know if it was a good idea to send a... Well, I don't see them anymore, so apparently it wasn't a good idea because nobody liked them. (laughs) And then I gave my wife... uh, We're not jigsaw people. We don't put stuff together, but I got my wife and what I thought is a nice bag. You know, what I think is nice and what she thinks are nice. <laughs> it's a differing thing there. So I, the clothes and thrift stores thrill me. So I uh, also with this came a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle for southeast Alaska <clears throat> where everybody goes on cruises. So it would be Ketchikan, Juneau, Skagway, Sitka, Haines, all that area. And it's a lovely, lovely photo. <clears throat> or I shouldn't say photo, it's a map. And so now we're debating which place to take this uh, thousand piece. So somebody that can use it, you know, we're thinking of the of various nursing homes. But uh, Gail says a thousand pieces, that's that's quite challenging, you know. Should Al, we? That's, a, that's, that's considered a pretty easy puzzle, Al, in my mind, because I... <laughs> I just loaded for uh, Christmas. You know, I I do so many puzzles. I love doing puzzles and stuff. And I loaded a whole bunch, and I regifted them to my sister and my nieces and everything. Because you know, once you do them, you're kind of like, ah, I've done this. I want something new. So, I like puzzles, and and I regift them to other people who will enjoy them. So that there's there's an idea. But yeah, you know, when I was at the nursing home where my mom was there, they generally had the 300 to 500 piece because sometimes those thousand pieces are so easy to get those pieces lost that you know you want to get them done and out of the way i think and then you need a big table and oh yeah because a lot of times the card table is is too small for some of those bigger puzzles yeah and i see them at the blue earth county library they always have some tables back there with them on but maybe i'll just drop it off down at kmsu for karen wright yeah i'll do it (laughs) there you go well then we found a home for it because it you know it's I got this and gave it to her. But we all get things sometimes, and we say, oh, this is this is so nice. And if you're me, I say, ah, oh, that's really too nice for me, which means <laughs> I'll, I, never, I'll never use this. But it's, it's good, so I need to find someplace to put this. So that's, that's good news. I, I did get a puzzle for Christmas from uh, my sister-in-law, and it was beautiful. It had cats, but it had... Um, the one thing about it was it had a lot of the same color on the, you know, the cats were kind of the cent- center point, and those were cool. But on the outside, there was like a, a cream color and a light green color that was like the top and the bottom of this thousand-piece puzzle. And they were all the same shade, so there's no distinguishing characteristics. And the other thing that really frustrated me is some of the pieces are interchangeable. So we're putting together this border, and I hadn't even got the border together. And you're like, well, wait a minute, this fits here. Well, but what about this this fits too and so that was the one puzzle i put back in the bag and i gave it to my sister because she's retired and she and her husband have time to put it together i just i i I just decided you know if you're interchangeable and you're all the same color at least sometimes with 
you know, different hues or tones, you can at least distinguish something. Now, I gave up. I admit it. I can hear me saying pretty early on there, well, <laughs> I'm done here, and they just move on to something else. I used to stop to see uh, a neighbor. She was a wonderful lady, and when I was a boy growing up, she always treated me kindly, and her name was Ruth Pedersen, and she was in a, um, a care facility, and she, uh, her mind was good. She just had some other things going on, and she would work these every day. She worked on these puzzles, and I learned not to go during the time of day to visit her when she was working on those puzzles because she just say she just would kind of wave at you to sit down. So there was no point. She was pretty serious about that. Uh-huh. But if I waited till she was done, then we had good visits. <laughs> hey. Everybody, man, thanks for sitting on the front porch with us. Uh, Stay warm. I want to be, I'm sure I'm the first one to say, is it cold enough for you? I bet you've not heard that at all in the last couple of days. Recently, I picked up a penny on the ground near a gas pump, and there was a guy next to me, you know, right across on the other side of the pump, and he said, you're tall. (laughs) I couldn't argue with him. My feet are far away. (laughs) And then he added, well, you, you shouldn't have been picking up pennies. You could, you could have hurt your back while picking up the penny. What are you going to do with a penny anyway? Well, I told him if that happened, you know, if I hurt my back, then the one-cent piece would go right into the clinic's coffers to treat my back pain. <laughs> and I see a penny, pick it up. All day long, you'll have good luck. And I said that before handing the coin to him and adding, give a penny to a friend and you'll have one less cent to spend. <laughs> he laughed and he put the penny in his pocket. <laughs> I wish you all good luck in all ways today, and I hope you don't even have to bend over and pick up a penny to have that good luck. I enjoyed your company, Karen. Everyone, remember Heartland as well. We're driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thanks, Karen. Hey, Al, it's great to chat with you. And Ms. Lona has a song that she requested for you since I was playing all those bird songs. So this next Uh, song is Patty Page, and it's for Al Bat. It's Mockingbird Hill. Here you go. Oh, my gosh. Thanks, (laughs) Ms. Lona. Bye-bye, Al. Bye-bye.